Sacred Space on West Limerick 102. So welcome to our Come and See Studio here in Arda, uh, where we hope to bring you another episode of some some good news um, that's happening around the church and, and the people who are working therein. So this morning, uh, it's, my, it's my delight and my privilege to welcome into the studio here uh, Father Fonzie Cullenhan. Good morning to you, Father. Good morning, John. Good morning to all your listeners. How are you this morning? I'm very good. Thank, Thank God. You. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. You're welcome. So the reason why I've asked Father to join us this morning, as I have on a number of occasions with a number of priests, is just to go through their story of priesthood and how the Lord called them and the work that they're doing now and the encouragement they're bringing us and also maybe a reason why we should continue to pray for our priests. So, Father Fancy, just before we start... Um, Maybe a little bit of your family background, mm-hmm. please. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I come from a family of 10 children. Wow. How about that? Oh. Mom and dad are in heaven, uh, Christy and Rita. And then there are six boys and four girls. And I am number eight in the line. And uh, started in Clare. And then all the family moved into Limerick City, mm-hmm. and Limerick has been very good to us, thank God. And I became a priest in 1994. So just going back a small little bit, uh, were you born in Clare, you said, was that in the country? or, or in Born in a place called Lahinch, down by the sea. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Absolutely. And so your school in the, uh, the, was it in Lahinch, or? School, actually, uh, with the good Salesian sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when in in the you know babies in first class uh, and all that lovely and then into JFK John F Kennedy School on the Ennis Road and then went to uh, the Crescent College Comprehensive out there in Duradol with the Jesuits okay and a good experience all around perfect so uh, a typical young fellow now going to school uh, no doubt thinking about leaving certain so and so forth and then maybe mm-hmm. what will I do with my life after sure. leaving cert what was Father Fante thinking at that particular time uh, teaching that was uh, that was my goal okay. <clears throat> especially secondary teaching but then uh, after the leaving cert my dad said we've no money to send you to college now buckle mm-hmm. so uh, what about Mary Immaculate so Ended up uh, okay. Saved up a few bob, got a summer job, and went to Mary Immaculate, and had three great years there. And uh, I became a national teacher. And how many years were you a teacher, a national teacher? I was teaching in Ireland for six years, and then went off to Spain oh. to teach English for two years. And that was a great experience. How did that come about? You ended up in Spain. Well, I had a good friend in school, Murish, Murish de Wolf, Murish Wolf, mm-hmm. who is now in Germany. And Murish invited me to teach English on a, on a summer course in in Spain. So, of course, I was I was teaching uh, mm-hmm. at the time in Ireland, and to get two months paid holiday <laughs> in sunny Spain. Oh, yeah, okay. Couldn't how could re- you, you pass re- up that one? You couldn't refuse that. So off I went, mm. and there I got to know a group called Opus Dei, and they were, um, several members of Opus Dei were running this, this summer course. Mm. So uh, I went out there with two of my brothers. Sure, we had a great time. And we were invited back the following year and the year after. 
But there in Spain, I saw films of DVDs of Saint Jose Maria Escriva. Uh-huh. I know Spanish or very little. I was picking up a few words, mm. but something did impress me about him and about the guys there. And anyway, to make a long story short, uh, came back to Ireland. Uh, was teaching away. Then there was a rumor going around in the middle 80s that the INTO was going to close down on career breaks. Mm-hmm. So I was I was invited by one of the teachers that I met in Spain. Would I go and teach English in their school as a full-time teacher? So I discussed this with my old principal in Castle mm-hmm. Connell, mm-hmm. Paddy Rohan, Lord to mercy, and he died there last year. Mm-hmm. And Paddy said, if I got the opportunity again, he said, I'd tear off. <laughs> off you go. So uh, off I went. And it was there, you know, when I was when I was outside of the Irish thing, you know. When you take a person out of their habitat mm, and yeah. you put them somewhere else, they have to start thinking for themselves more. Mm. Stand on their own two feet. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Limerick, I had a great time. I was singing. I was in the... Sicilians Musical Society and doing a bit of acting. We had the teaching and there was soccer and there was all sorts of things, a bit of golf. And mm-hmm. So then I was out of all that comfort zone and I was over there in Spain and I began to take my spiritual life more seriously. I began to pray more. This was with the help of a lot of guys there in Opus Dei as well. They had a, there was a, um, a club and they used to tear off on Saturdays and we'd go off climbing mountains and, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. As we'd go in the car, one of the guys would take out a little bit of scripture, read a line, we'd pray, read another line, silence, you know. And this thing was really, I really thought it was beautiful. What a beautiful way to pray. Just get a little thought and then silence. Father, would this have been new to you now? I, I, I mean, you know, experience this. Yes. Faith being shared. Okay. Well, yes, it was. Now, mm. I have to say... Uh, that of course ninety percent and Saint Jose Maria Escriva, who founded Opus Dei, would say ninety percent of a person's vocation comes from their parents. Just about as that, that, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, this uh, experience of mental prayer, you know, contemplation, contemplative prayer, uh, reflective, was not really the kind of thing I was very used to, mm. and I liked it. And of course, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you can do it, you know. Mm. You just need that bit of silence. Put yourself in the presence of God. Uh, get some get some book, get some something good. It, it, even a picture, you know, a picture of mm. Sacred Heart or, or Lady, mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. And start, start listening and start speaking with the Lord. And it will happen. And uh, this began to grow inside me and all this... Uh, this 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 spiritual life got stronger. There was a Franciscan church around the corner from where I lived in Spain. I was in the city of Valladolid, which an ancient capital of Spain. Mm-hmm. It was from there that Columbus got his 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 uh, permission mm-hmm. to set sail from the the king and the queen Isabel and Ferdinand and um, Ferdinand II. So. Um, Anyway, in that city, I learnt a lot. And it was there, in fact, on our little retreat. There's a story about that, but maybe it's too long to tell, I don't know. Mm, Look away. Uh, Well, Mm. uh, there was a friend of mine there 
in this in the he was working in the school. He had an apartment. There were several lodgers in it. Of course, in Spain, most people live in the high rise things. Okay, you know? yeah, okay. They don't have the the three bedroom semi detached like we do no, in Ireland. No. That out out in the outskirts of a city, they would, but mostly it's it's pisos as they call them. It's uh, apartments. Mm. So um, I was living in the apartment of of uh, Chus was his name Jesus, which is actually Jesus. Loads of Spanish kids are called Jesus. Very strange for us. And they give them all nicknames, you see. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, Chuse, Chuse had me there and I did a retreat, one in 1988 there. And uh, at the start of 88, and towards the end of 88, Jesus Chuse tells me, there's another little weekend retreat on, wouldn't you go? And I said... No, nah, I'm going playing golf. <laughs> okay. So uh, he convinced me anyway. He badgered me into it. But we were great friends now. He could do it, you see. So I went on that retreat, and it was there that I decided, believe it or not. this is I can't explain this. Mm-hmm. If anybody listening in can explain it, you can tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was during that retreat that I crystallized the idea, and I actually said it to the priest on the course, I want to become a priest. That's the first time that that ever came into your mind, Father, is it? It's the first time that I actually put it into one sentence. Okay, okay. But when I went to Maynooth then the following year, we were asked by three different priests who were giving us the what they call the spiritual month, mm-hmm. the September course for the newcomers. That was 1989. And three priests, three individual Men, they, they asked us individually to write the story of our vocation. So we take out a sheet of paper and a pen and we begin to write. Mm-hmm. And the third time that I wrote that, it became quite clear that in actual fact, this was God's plan all the way. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, all those spiritual uh, training when I was young, kneeling down, saying the rosary at home. Mm-hmm. And then school, various things happened there. They were good, thank God. Then off to Spain. I always thought all the decisions were mine along the way. Well, they were. Mm, mm. But by the same token, God was writing Mm. his own way with crooked lines, Mm, but he mm. was writing straight. Mm. And they were all pointing, in fact, to priesthood. And tell me, Father, when when you get that idea, obviously, I mean, you shared it with your parents and some of your friends. How did they react? Well, the parents took it very well, mm-hmm. the dad especially. So did the mum. Mm-hmm. My mum said, if you're going to become a priest, become a right one. <laughs> okay. The dad was chuffed. Mm-hmm. He was a man of few words, really. But um, And the friends, yeah, the friends took it very well. But there were different days back in, you know, the late mm-hmm. 80s. The late 80s. But, um, and your brothers and sisters at the time? Yeah, they, were, mm-hmm. they, were, they took it very well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. most certainly did. And ever since then, I should say, by the way, that uh, at the start of 89, January, I, I had a, an appointment with Bishop Jeremiah Newman. Mm-hmm. And uh, he met me for 20 minutes. The first 15 minutes, maybe, or the first 10, he spent um, doing the devil's advocate. You know, why yeah. do you want to become a priest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, look, what, oh, mm. why wouldn't you want to be married? Or, yeah. And he was only testing me out. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, at the end of that meeting, he said he had to go. 
He said, kneel down there and I'll give you a blessing. I have to say, I can still visualize this in my mind. From that moment, I never had a doubt about priesthood. Praise the Lord. Absolutely. So you see the Lord working in all different ways, in all different people. I can remember kind neighbors, people of good, solid faith. I can remember some great priests. Mm -hmm. I can remember so many ways in which the Lord touches our lives, touch my life. And so you went to seminary. Went to Maynooth. How did you find that? It was a great experience. I was 28 when I went to Maynooth. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was I was lobbed in with a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds. And sure, it was like <laughs> a second wind. Of course. Yeah. Great fun, yeah, yeah. games. Yeah. Um, we had a ball. There were 55 guys in our year. Wow. Five of them came from Belfast. They went back to Belfast after the after the September. They went up to seminary up there, you see. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we had 50 guys. So there we got along very well, very well. Good bunch of guys. About 25, roughly, of that class, or 23 or something, went on for priesthood. And that's okay. par for the course. You know, absolutely. Mm, yeah. There's loads of guys come and try it. It's not for them. Off they go. We had one guy left after a week, which is a bit sudden, I thought. Mm-mm-mm. But little by little, the, the you know, the guys dropped out. We were very surprised. Were you going on uh, as a diocesan student, or were you thinking about an order, please? Oh, I was diocesan. Did you ever think about any order? <clears throat> Missionary uh, order type I, of thing? I, I, I thought about the Jesuits, all right. That was years ago. Mm-hmm. But I never really, no, I never really considered it was diocesan, hmm. di- working class priest. That's what I like to say. Okay. Working okay. class priest. That's good. Um, uh, so that's, uh, that was always it, really. And, and, and so you were there for how long, Father, in, in seminary? I was, I was there for six years in total, five years up to ordination, and then I did an extra year of study. And during that time, I mean, I assume for everybody that's a, a time of discernment. But you, you, you were maybe getting even more convinced all the time. Yeah, this is the, this is the. Yeah, yeah. I never. I, I, I really have to say, I never, I never had a doubt, really. Hmm. Um, maybe questions, maybe questions, but not doubts. There's a difference between having questions and doubts. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I think. Uh, John Henry Newman, who said, you know, uh, a thousand questions do not make a doubt. Yeah. Or a thousand Mm. difficulties Mm. do not make a Mm. doubt. Mm. That's what he said. So after six years, time for ordination? Uh, Well, ordination was after five, that's right, in 94. And um, went back then for finishing off an STL, which is kind of like, is like a master's. But just coming back now to the ordination, can you remember the ordination day? Oh, yes, indeed. 12th of June, 94, St. John's Cathedral. Uh, John, uh, sorry, uh, Bishop uh, Newman, Mm -hmm. Jeremiah. I was the last to be ordained by Bishop Jeremiah. God bless him, a great man, and uh, Lord to mercy on him. He's buried now in the cathedral. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that was 94. A proud day for the parents and, and you know, family there. Big shindig, mm. all the rest of it. It was marvellous. And then it was time you had to go and do some work, or in your case, a little bit more study, was it? Came back, yes. Went mm. back to Maynooth for another year. Then 95, uh, did a few uh, 
did a few weeks in, uh, I was helping out in St. John's, or was that 94? That was 94. Mm-hmm. 95, then I was appointed in St. Munchen's Parish, St. Munchen's, St. Lilia's in the city. I was there for just one year. I was looking forward to 10 more. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was moved off to become chaplain of the regional hospital, which has changed name twice since. Yes. But I'll just call it the regional That's anyway, right. as so everybody else does. That must have been some experience there, Father. It was marvellous. That was marvellous. I was just there for five years, but um, that was a learning curve. We learn so much from the sick. Yeah. Um, it is... Uh, a place, a uh, vocation where you where you touch life and you touch what is really essential, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember Manny's the time talking to sick people and they would say, look, you can, you know, you can keep the lottery and lotto and all that. Yeah, yeah. I just want to get well. Mm-hmm. And there was also a camaraderie amongst the sick and there was a leveling of, you know, social distinctions it didn't matter if you were mm-hmm. yeah if mm-hmm. you were uh you know a millionaire or uh or, or or whatever and if you were you know if you had a phd or just a a pass intercert it didn't make any difference you were sick you were sick and mm-hmm. we were all together and we were all kind of rooting for each other um it was a privileged time to be a priest and all of that and struggling of course then with the whole notion of suffering and where does Christ come into that? But in the chapel in the regional hospital, there's a big crucifix, mm-hmm. pretty much life size. And Manny's the time I'd go in and just look up at it and say nothing. Mm-hmm. There was no need of words, and the answer is up there somewhere. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was um, it. Was a time of learning too. It was a time I remember oftentimes sitting down with uh, after somebody had died. The priest would be called, you know, before they died. Mm-hmm. And I might be there on my own because it might happen in the middle of the night, you know. The nurses would do their stuff, of course, mm-hmm. and and then and the, and the medical staff, and they were great, absolutely. But when they were finished and the corpse was there on his or her own, sometimes I'd be waiting for the family to come in, you know, they might be out in the countryside or wherever. Mm-hmm. And I'd sit down and I'd ask myself this question. That person was breathing an hour ago and now they're no longer you know, what is the difference between that corpse and the living person? And of course, it's the spirit. It's the spirit, yeah. It's the spirit. Mm. The spirit is no longer there, but it's still alive. The spirit, even though the body mm. was dead. That's a wonderful truth. Sure. To, to, to have the gift, maybe, of faith to realise that. Absolutely. That our soul continues and our spiritual life continues. I mean, even the language that we use, you know, I mean, to to die is a word to expire, ex, out, spire, Mm. spiritus. The spirit has gone out, gone out. Mm. And to inspire is the opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, the spirit goes in. But to expire, and of course, you know, um, if we really love someone, how could we believe that the spirit, their spirit, is gone? Yeah. I find that incredible. 
and some of the witnesses of faith you must have experienced there, Father, from people who maybe you mightn't have thought maybe had that faith, but in the moment of truth, sure. they were there with you. There are very few atheists. Hmm. There are very few atheists. In the hospital, there are very few atheists. Outside of the hospital, an awful lot of cocky people who, you know. Bravado, whatever. Absolutely, yeah. and there's hmm. loads of that in Ireland right at the minute. Hmm. But you just wonder, do these people live in the real world, or are they just trying to invent something for themselves. Uh, I find it kind of pathetic and adolescent, really. Mm. But uh, I met very few atheists, precious few. Um, I remember, you know, we're coming up to uh, Good Friday now. I remember going around the hospital with a little cross on Good Friday and just stand at the door and say, would you like to kiss the cross? And uh, I don't think, I, I can't remember having got a refusal but there were some people who took the cross, wow, and the way they kissed the figure mm. was a gospel in itself. But they were looking at that figure on the cross, they they were looking at it at faith rather than sure. people concerned how people were viewing them from outside. A wonderful five years of experience, both for yourself and no doubt for the people who you were ministering to there. And, and of course, I'm sure you met some wonderful people performing their vocation as nurses and doctors and medical Absolutely. people and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Please don't get left in a place for too long. So you were you were moved again, I'd say. That's right. I was moved again. And uh, this time uh, I had been talking with Bishop Donald Murray about the possibility of doing extra studies in wherever. And uh, so he sent me off to Rome for three years. What an experience that was. Uh, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Off I went to stay in the Irish College and to study in the Redemptorist College over there, doing a doctorate. And uh, sure, that was, look, I mean, you know, what can you say? That was just marvellous. There's been an Irish College in Rome for almost 400 years now. Uh, went there, it was there, <coughs> excuse me, of course, it was... Um, Founded there during penal times uh, in Ireland when, when, when the uh, Catholic Church could not uh, have their own priests and uh, seminaries. So they the Irish went to the continent to study and there were many colleges. Um, the Irish College in Paris, Salamanca, mm -hmm. um, Prague, uh, Louvain, um, and Rome and, and others. And was there any specific reason why um, why you went to Rome or, or went for further study? Was there, was there a reason at the end of it that you wanted to, to, I don't know, why would you have taken the doctorate? Yeah, good question. Well, I suppose it's a kind of a natural development if you have a, if you have your basic degree and then a, and then an STL and then you, you'd like to finish it off. Okay. Wanted to study more too. It's just the way it happened really, but Bishop Donald was just... Fantastic. Wonderful. Fair play to him. And, of course, he's a man himself who values uh, study. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I ended up there. It was, I have to, I have to be honest here now, it was, it was, um, it was, I had to egg him on a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. say, you know, any chance I could kind of do it? And he said, oh, okay, so. Um, but look, wasn't it great? But no doubt the Lord, again, was writing that story. Well, you see, this mm -hmm. is it. Behind, behind, behind. Okay, after three years, you returned again. 
to Ireland. Came back again, and Bishop Donald sent me off to be chaplain in the Limerick Institute of Technology. That's another new... Another new one, absolutely. Seven years there. Great experience with all the young people and and all the staff. And uh, that was that was great, absolutely. It was very blessed. How were you accepted there? You know, I mean, the, the, the view is these days that young people... Priest, Catholics, and so on and so forth in a college. Yeah. How, how did you, how was your experience? Well, I think they take you for what you are yourself. Okay. The, the, uh, the color or the, um, or the clerical garb, I don't think they really quite know what it stands for. But it was accepting you personally and how. Mm, okay. How how they would find you, um, what kind of a person you were. You've you've got to earn it, but that's good. That's good. You mentioned early on that when you were in the hospital and you spoke to people one to one, that you found very few atheists. Sure. On the same level, the same sort of thinking when you were in college, did you find many people when it comes to down to it one to one said no? Oh, I would be absolutely convinced that. You see, there is a group think. Yeah, now, when people yeah. are in a group, um, um, you know, they, they, they don't want to stand out, number one, mm. and they're inclined to imbibe uh, what what others tell them. Mm. There is also, of course, the kind of the 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 youthful rebellion. Yeah, any, anyway, yeah, yeah. Mm. So mm. we've we've been. We've been in secondary. Now we're free, you know. Yeah. Where we can do whatever we like, and of course, so many of them do, and they all find the same thing that, as we all do, you know, that the human person is made for God. No, they don't realize this, but they run out there like the prodigal son, as hmm. as I did too, in in some ways, indeed, you know. And you look for you look for fulfillment. In all, in all the buzz, the buzz, the things that give you a buzz, mm-hmm. you know. Um, no, when I was in college, it was a lot. Life was a lot simpler. Uh, money was we we had none, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, drinking we we just didn't have the money to do it. Cars, yeah. we didn't have any. Mm-hmm. Drugs, they were unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole you know sexual uh, morality was was much was much uh more respected yeah 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 back in the in in the 80s uh but now uh things are different and there's a lot of people being hurt as a lot of young people i think who who um who are unhappy and they're searching i mean just a few weeks ago there there was a uh a survey done in a college, a big university in Ireland, where now was it half or a third of the uh, of the student population admitted that they binge drink on a regular basis? Yeah. You know, you say that's not a sign of happiness. No, that's not a sign of happiness. Um, so the Lord is is still there, and people are. Searching here, there, and everywhere, but he's still waiting for us to come back, and that is the great hope, of course, for us all that 
God is still interested, just as he was in us, still loves us, still is searching for us, absolutely. And it doesn't matter how far we run away from him. Mm. He will still be there waiting for us to turn around and come back. Uh, Ireland at the moment is in many ways in a bad way, but in other ways, an awful lot of good things happening. An awful lot of good things happening. One of my great uh, memories, just four years ago, I was in uh, Madrid uh, to for the World Youth Day in August of that year. I brought over a group of 20, including some students from LIT. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were two million young people in Madrid to gather for the World Youth Day around an old man called Pope Benedict. Yeah. Mm. Now you gotta you gotta stand back mm. and you gotta be honest and you gotta look at that. Mm. Just wait a second now here. Two million young people. Now I saw the crowds. Mm. These were not old fogies, mm. do you know. These were young, youthful, lively, vibrant. They were in their late teens, twenties, maybe a few in the thirties. And they were just everywhere. The police, I mean, if you had a rock concert with 20,000 people, there'd be right gear. That's right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, the police, and I speak Spanish, and I was talking to the police, they were leaning up against the car, smiling and just waving people. That's the way to... It was great fun. Hmm. There was no need of riot police. There were two million there. The only sad faces and the... We're, we're, we're a small group of uh, Spaniards who have a detestation of things churchy, mm-hmm. who uh, who are quite nasty. Some of them, um, but the exuberance and the and the joy of the crowd was just wonderful. We had a marvelous experience, and I I I, I keep those things in my heart, and I think about them, and it's you know. That same Lord which animated and gave joy to all those people, he's going to continue to work in Ireland. Mm. The spirit is still there and uh, it's as strong as ever. The arm of God has not shortened. Man is still man, still in need of God, no matter how sophisticated we think we are. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely not. We're just human nature, still the same, and God it's still the same too. And so it came time for you to, to leave your, your work in LIT. That's right. And then you got another position. Got another position to go out and be parish priest in Rathkeel, County Limerick. Praise the Lord. And that's the first time you were ever appointed to a parish. It was, I was one year okay. as a curate. St. Lelius. In St. St. Lelius in Munchens under Canon Michael Manning. God bless him, a lovely mm. man. But you're into Rathkeel anyway. Into Rathkeel, and there you go, three and a half years there. Wonderful people of West Limerick. And um, and it was, it was a great experience. And people very, very nice. Very, very nice. And learnt a lot there, of course. If all the admin and all that, mm-hmm. all, all the all the problems that end up on your desk. Let's say that. Uh, but sure, look, that's, thank God, that's part of life. That's part of it. Just a few things that I normally ask priests when I chat to them because people pose them from time to time. Maybe it's the RTE type of thinking. And people say, well, is a priest 
Do they have a lonely life? Are you lonely? Definitely not. Um, <clears throat> um, I mean, you see, it, it comes down to a priest's prayer life, spiritual life, relationship with the Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. This is my vocation. Thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. For many people, for most people, their vocation is marriage. Mm-hmm. And from what I know of marriage, people can be very lonely in marriages too, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is, mm-hmm. I mean, how many marriages are breaking up now? And uh, that must be a tremendous wrench in a person's life, uh, you know, to find that the person you love has gone cold um, towards you. Um, um, so, absolutely. No, I mean, sure, there are times I might get fed up. Or we, all, we all have that. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. That's mm. Part, of mm. life. part of life. And you just cannot sit around moping and self-pity. If it was one thing I learned in the hospital, it was don't f- feel sorry for yourself. And whenever I felt like that, in fact, a bit of self-pity inside in the hospital, it was a very simple remedy. Go down and visit the sick. Yeah, yeah, and they'd sort you out in five minutes. And you realise how do, how does Father Fancy relax? Relax himself? Oh, sure. I like uh, I like watching DVDs. You know, not film. Mm-hmm. Do a bit of reading. Like reading a lot. Uh, play a bit of golf. Do a bit of painting. Uh, sing in the kitchen when nobody's <laughs> listening. <laughs> you don't have time to get bored anyway with all that stuff. Absolutely, maybe. Tell me, Father, um, memories. Have you got any, um, say, an uplifting memory that might stand out for you or a sad memory that might stand out for you? Uplifting memories. Um, there are certainly World Youth Day. Oh, there's mm. loads of them. One of the best moments of being a priest is in the confessional, in the confession box. Um, there's a real meeting there between the person who is sorry for his or her sins and who comes to Jesus through the priest. Because that's the way Jesus wants it done. I really do believe that. He said to his apostles, those who sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Those who sins you retain, they are retained. Now, you know, to hear the confession of somebody who has been carrying a burden for years for years, carrying this boulder, this big mm. stone on their heart. And then they kneel down or they sit down and they unburden themselves to the Lord Jesus who says to them, I absolve you from your sins, you are forgiven. And they walk out of that confessional. That is one of the most joyous times of being a priest. Lovely. To see somebody just my God, and and it's so easy, you know, mm-hmm. and it costs nothing, mm-hmm. but it does take, it does take courage and it does take humility, and of course you see us moderns, we're not good at doing humility. Mm-hmm. We're very proud. We don't want to admit that we need God, but by golly, we do. Mm-hmm. And it it pains me when people, you know, they're flying around and they're going to all sorts of new age rubbish. God forgive me, mm-hmm. and they're paying for it. And they think that a head massage is going to get rid of their guilt mm. or whatever. And guilt, by the way, is is a human thing, irrespective of any faith, you know. It's only a psychopath doesn't feel guilty, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so guilt is is a spiritual pain, if you like. 
it's our mind, our conscience telling us there's something wrong there. You know, okay. where does the healing come from? Jesus. We're coming to the end, Father, but uh, there's a few more questions I'd like to ask you. Um, what, do you be, what do you think people expect of a priest? Okay. I think deep down they expect a priest to, to, be, to be a man of prayer, to be truthful, to be consistent, uh, you know, to act the way you should, according to the gospel, um, which can be very difficult, but that's the calling. But mm. that's the calling for every Christian, of course. Of course, yeah. You know, mm. not only a priest, mm. it's the calling for everyone to live according to the gospel. Father, I've asked you a number of uh, questions here about um, the priesthood and so on and so forth and moving on. And as you shared with me, you know, that the way the Lord is still writing there in the background. Sure. And the Lord hadn't finished with moving you yet because mm-hmm. something else came up in more recent times. Um, you have been appointed uh-huh. as a bishop. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? That is true. Um on the 25th of this month, I got a phone call from the papal nuncio who uh, wanted to see me. The following day, I called up to Dublin and he told me straight off that I had been appointed Bishop of Waterford and Lismore. I would love to have had a camera on my <laughs> face at that time. I wonder yeah, what col- what shade of white did yes. I go? And... Uh, <clears throat> So, ever since then, life has been a bit of a whirlwind, to say the least. To say the least. Trying to get my head around that. and uh, But the goodwill has been just tremendous, and Bishop Brendan has been great, and all the other bishops indeed, and my priest friends, and people all over the parish, and Rathgeel and beyond, my friends, family, and of course the people of Waterford and Lismore, got letters in the door by the truckload. Mm, I'd say. And uh, I really, I, I, I will get around to answering them. Texts, phone calls, all the rest of it. Um, all to all goodwill. And I just hope I can, with the help of God, live up to their expectations. I asked you there just a minute ago, what, did, what do you think people expected of a priest? What do you think people expect of a bishop? Oh, I suppose a lot more. Um, you know, I mean, you're more public position mm. and uh, some of the demands of course will be impossible to fulfill obviously um, uh, you know pre- a, a bishop is a is just a human being really at the end of the day mm. Mm. Yeah, and there are only 24 hours in a day and he can only do so much but you know there's a line in the gospel Jesus calls the fishermen and they left their nets and followed him you know they just left the work undone and uh, that's going to be the way for all of us. I mean, the Lord Jesus, when he when he left the earth, well, what had he actually accomplished? I mean, I mean, it looked as if everything was was uh, you know he hadn't built anything. Mm-hmm. He had very few converts. Mm-hmm. He had a whole pile of people ran away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, perfection we ain't going to have on this side of eternity. But we got to work. We got to work as if everything depended on us, uh, as Saint Augustine says. But pray as if everything depended on God. 
When do you actually get ordained, uh, uh, Bishop? On the 12th of April. April. Oh, Divine Mercy Sunday. Divine Mercy Sunday. Three o'clock. Good time to be ordained. A good time to be ordained. Father Fancy, this is the last question I want to ask you. It isn't really a question. It's maybe a message that you might want to give to whoever might be listening to this program, whether in this country or abroad. Um, you've touched it in a few times, um, this this idea of hope and this idea of faith. Sure. People who sometimes might be hanging on by their fingernails to their face. Sure. What would you like to say to them? Pray. That's what I would say. Talk to Jesus. Pray. It always starts with prayer. Go to the tabernacle. Don't do it on your own. Uh, don't try and go it alone, I mean. We're part of the church. You know, the, 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 the coal that falls out of the fire, where it is warmed by all the other coals, if a coal falls out, uh, it goes cold. On its own. Yeah. But in the fire, it remains hot. Um, so don't try and don't try and think that you can solve all these problems and you can figure it all out on your own. When Jesus taught the apostles to pray, he taught them the Our Father, not the My Father. Mm. We're in it together in the church, which he founded. So I would say, be part of the community. Go to the sacraments. Pray. And remember that God is with you. And he's with the others. We're all imperfect. You may look around your community at Mass. And you might, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> you might say, well, they're not much. Well, then again, you know, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh it's so easy to be critical of others. We have to judge ourselves by the same standards. Um, how am I uh, an apostle for Christ? Uh, that's the great, that's the great privilege. That's the great challenge to be an ambassador for Christ. Father Fancy, what a lovely way to finish off the interview, to be um, an ambassador for Christ. So may I, on behalf of all who listen to Sacred Space each Sunday morning, wish you all the best and assure you of our prayers as you, as you continue your work for the Lord. He's continuing to write there in your life. God bless you and thank you for joining us this morning. And thank you and God bless you and all your work and all your listeners. Thank you, Father. God bless them. So my thanks to F- Bishop Fancy Cullinan, the then father, Fancy Cullinan, who um, joined me for a wonderful interview there a few months ago. We thank Father for the work he's doing for the Lord, uh, for the work he's done here in County Limerick, and for the work he's doing now as Bishop in Waterford and Lismore. So with that, we'll go out with a bit of music, and uh, I think there was really no, no other choice uh, this morning, but to play um, a piece from Mark Forrest from his album You Are Mine, and this one is entitled You Are Mine. So it's, we'll pray this, and remember Father Bishop Fante Cullinan as we leave the programme for this week. Until next week, God bless you all now. Bye. voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son, 
in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I will come to you in the silence. I will lift you from all your fears. You will hear my voice. I claim you as my choice. Be still and know I am here. And do not be afraid, for I am with you. I have called you each by name. Come and follow me. And I will bring you home. I love you, and you are mine. I am hope for all who are hopeless. In the shadows of the night, I will be your light. Come and rest in me. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. It is I who have called you each by name. Dwell in shame. All the blind will see. The lame will all run free.
It is I who've called you each by name. Come and follow me, and I will bring you home. I love you. Sacred Space on West Limerick 102.